Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, November 20th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, attorneys say an independent autopsy of Dexter Wade finds evidence contradicting the story officials have provided to his family. Then, the only professional jiu-jitsu league in the country has been growing in Decatur, Alabama. Plus, the manager of Jackson's water system wants to raise the city's water utility rates for some, but decrease it for low-income households. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Family attorneys say contradicting information regarding the death and burial of Dexter Wade was revealed in an independent autopsy after his body was exhumed last week. Dexter Wade was first reported missing to the Jackson Police Department in early March. It was August before city officials notified his family he'd been killed and buried in an unmarked grave. Jackson police say he was struck and killed by an off-duty police officer's vehicle while trying to cross Interstate 55. City officials claimed they had trouble identifying Wade to contact next of kin. Last week, family attorney Dennis Sweet said the pathologist found Wade had been buried in his clothes in that independent autopsy. Sweet tells our Mike McEwen Wade's wallet and several identification cards were still in his pants pocket. It really changes what the police and Jackson and officials told the family. You know, they had this whole thing with the mayor saying, you know, there was no identification and lack of communications. When they did the autopsy, he had his wallet in his pocket. Uh, and he had a, uh, his learner's permit with his address, a government ID with his address. He had a credit card, debit cards, a health insurance card, a date for his next doctor's appointment. So it really changed up this whole scenario about there was no identification. He had identification on him in his pants. So, I mean, it kind of flies in the face of what the the city said, which was he had no identification on him. And the mayor, he did. I mean, he had several pieces of identification on him with his address, you know, with with his home address. So I think that changes things quite a bit as far as what they're saying happened to him. And, and it makes you have a lot less trust in what they say. Does that answer what you're looking for? Yeah, it does. I, I, you know, I've been following the case for a few weeks now. And so when I read that they found his identification, I had 
essentially the same thought as that. That, you know, directly contradicts what the city has been saying. Um, yeah, when, when, when I, I talked to the uh, pathologist, and he says, I got some news for him. And when it, it was me and Ben wasn't quite on the call then. He wasn't on the call then. And he said, man, he has an ID on his wallet. His wallet's in his pocket. His wallet's in his pocket. And I think his pants were on him. So he wasn't like, like to see goats for more, take and examine, clean. He's just wallet, their pants, everything thrown in the bag, you know. Into a hole, you know. You know? It's pretty sad. Is that is that common practice when I guess authorities come across a person who's passed away and they can't find a relative? Do they just kind of haphazardly bury them like that? Is that usually how they I do hope, it? I, I hope not. I don't know the procedures. But I guess we're gonna learn about what the procedures they say in place during this this case. Um, we'll find out. I don't know. I can't speak on what the procedures were. I know in this case, it doesn't look like anything was done. I mean, he was not examined, or or he was examined. You know, on the accident report, it had his name, and he had a pill bottle with his name. And, you know, the case with uh, George Robinson has been in the news. You know, I filed that lawsuit about his uncle being killed by the police, uh, you know, the Fox case, and the two other officers. And, you know, there have been two trials, Jake. You know, Judge Peters threw out the case against two of them, and uh, the third trial uh, it went to the jury, and Fox was convicted. You know, since then, AG has made the news, but she's written a brief on the side of Fox, which is quite unusual. That drew attention. So the case itself, and Bernstein Wade, her family, have been in the news since 2019 by about this case. And we sued the Jackson Police Department. And the criminal prosecutions involved members, ex-members of the Jackson Police Department. And many of the officers, present officers of Jackson Police, not many, but a number of the Jackson Police officers were called to testify. So it's hard to believe that they don't know the name Wade, especially Bernstein Wade. Uh, it had her address. Uh, and uh, it's, so I don't know if you said anything usual about this case. They had to know who he was. Uh, so... You know, I, I think this case is quite unusual. Uh, in your expertise and your decades of experience and practice, how do you think this is going to move forward? How will things progress, if at all? Well, I'm going to leave it to Ben. Ben hopes, and I think he thinks that the city, the city, county, or state, whoever, should come forward and try and, you know, do some resolution for this family. Um, he was killed at their hands. No explanation was given to the parent family. Uh, he was discarded by them. Um, all this, by, you know, with his family. So I, you would hope that somebody would step up. Um, I'm associated with being associated with me, you know, even though I was in the case. He's, he's the attorney in the case. He'll make the decisions on exactly how we'll proceed. But the hope is that, you know, the proper officials step up and try and do something for this family.
Ben mentioned in that interview is Ben Crump, a prominent attorney who is also representing the family. You just heard from attorney Dennis Sweet, who also represents Wade's family. The funeral is today at New Horizon Church in Jackson. Al Sharpton is scheduled to give the eulogy. Coming up, the only professional jiu-jitsu league in the country has been growing in Decatur, Alabama. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Start your work week with a morning of locally produced programs on MPB Think Radio. At 9, it's Deep South Dining featuring conversations about Southern cuisine. Hear interviews with interesting Mississippians on Now You're Talking at 10. And at 11, there's information on leading a healthy life on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. On Fresh Air, you'll hear revelations from well-known actors like Zach Galifianakis on the story behind his last name. It's actually shortened, Terry. My real last name is Galifianakisberg. You know, that's an exclusive for your show. Fresh Air, bringing you some of the biggest names in American culture and some of the most difficult to pronounce. Join us. Weekdays at 3 on Think Radio. The Radio Reading Service of Mississippi provides print-impaired Mississippians with news, information, and entertainment. To learn more or to see if you qualify, call 601-432-6301. This is Ari Shapiro with NPR. People collect all sorts of things. Stamps, antique lamps, sports memorabilia. If you happen to collect cars and you're looking to make room for some new additions, look no further than this station. Pickup is free and you're helping make your favorite NPR programs possible. Learn more about it on this station's website and thank you in advance for thinking about helping public radio. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The combat sport of jiu-jitsu is a mixed martial art of ground fighting, grappling, and submission holds. Popularity has grown in the U.S. and the only professional jiu-jitsu league in the country started in Decatur, Alabama. Gulf States Newsroom's Joseph King has our story. When you think of jiu-jitsu, the sanctuary of the Becoming Church in Decatur, Alabama, may not come to mind. But this small North Alabama town is home to Brandon McCaffrey. Um, this is the big city to me. McCaffrey is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and all of that knowledge is coming out while he's showing me around. Oh, here, let's walk this way just a little bit so I can get a good look. There we go. Okay, Church. Paul Barry and Luke Church go head-to-head on the mat. They're exchanging positions. One of these athletes is looking to get to the top position. Church makes a huge sacrifice throw over the top. That was incredible. McCaffrey trained with some of the best in the sport, like Eddie Bravo. He's an acclaimed martial arts instructor for this fast-growing version of jiu-jitsu. McCaffrey took what he learned from Bravo in Los Angeles and started teaching in Decatur. And five years ago, he created something new and different in the world of jiu-jitsu, a professional federation. 
I mean, to me, it's just like a no-brainer. We already know what's palatable. The NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, these are all leagues. College basketball, college football, they're leagues. And so what I decided we should do is to take jujitsu and just lay it onto a format that we know works already. They call it the PGF. That's the Professional Grappling Federation. Instead of one-off tournament weekends for competitions, the PGF has a whole season. For viewers, they get the chance to watch athletes show off their skills and then get drafted to teams. Then they compete in a regular season. Then the final few teams go to the playoffs for a chance to win the championship belt. The coolest thing to me about the PGF is because of the way that we stretch it out over multiple matches, multiple days, we take a whole week to dig into results, it's not always the quote-unquote top guys, the best guys that make it to the playoff. A lot of Another unique part of McCaffrey's Federation is that, unlike traditional jiu-jitsu tournaments where competitors rack up points to win, in PGF you can only win if you make your opponent tap out within a six-minute match. That means athletes are forced to grapple to the very last second. It doesn't matter what the points are. The only way to score points in the PGF is to finish the opponent. McCaffrey says there are a few athletes that are relatively new to jiu-jitsu that have been successful. Nakaya Jackson, the current champion in the women's division, has been training for six years and competing for about four. McCaffrey is her coach, and she says she pushed him to add women into the mix. He had two seasons, and I was like, you need to get some women in here. Like, I compete a bunch. I compete all over. And he had never invited a bunch of women in, and I was like, dude, you got to start a, a season for women. Jackson is from Mississippi. You can say her path into jiu-jitsu was unorthodox. So I moved here uh, for like an engineering internship, met Brandon, started training, decided that this is what I wanted to do, and then I just stopped everything else, moved here and started training full-time. She wants more women, specifically black women, to try jiu-jitsu as well. The sports growing is something that all people can get into. It's not, uh, the barrier to entry is, is pretty low. It takes courage to move away from your home to pursue your career. Another athlete left his boxing gym in St. Petersburg, Russia, to compete this season. Uh, it's like, for me, like, middle of nowhere. <laughs> That's Fyodor Nikolov. The 27-year-old has been training in martial arts for years. I started, like, at 17, and since that I'm doing martial arts. It's about 10 years of martial arts, yeah. For a long time, people who wanted to compete as grapplers had to have a day job. But Nikolov coming to the U.S. to compete full-time is a sign that this sport is growing. At the end of this latest season, McCaffrey teased some big changes. I called him up to find out more. We're going to Vegas. The Federation hit the big time. It's moving to Las Vegas. But McCaffrey says this operation couldn't have started in Vegas. For one, he's got a lot of people here. You know, the commentators, the photographers. All these people are basically volunteers who keep each season running smoothly. They needed to build a federation in a place like Decatur. I think we needed to make our mistakes small, you know. So we have this idea. Let's just start throwing stuff on the wall and see what sticks. Now it's time to scale up. One part of this move, they'd be able to pay athletes more too. McCaffrey says it'd be among the highest paydays in the sport for competitors. And even though they're moving west, McCaffrey says he's not leaving he'll still run his gym in Decatur. For the Gulf States Newsroom, 
I'm Joseph King. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public radio stations in Alabama and Louisiana. Coming up, the manager of Jackson's water system wants to raise the city's water utility rates for some, but decrease it for low-income households. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Listen to MPB Think Radio at 10 on weekday mornings for shows about your legal rights, modern technology, car repair, and other topics of interest. Programs made by Mississippians for Mississippians on MPB Think Radio. Join the Gestalt Gardener and Next Stop Mississippi on the road live from the 47th Annual Chimneyville Arts Festival, December 1st from 9 until 11 a.m. Tune in or join us in person at the Bill Waller Mississippi Craft Center in Ridgeland for all the action at the merriest shopping event of the holiday season. This festival celebrates artisans and provides patrons a place to procure new pieces for their collection. Tune in December 1st starting at 9 a.m. only on MPB Think Radio. Start your work week with a morning of locally produced programs on MPB Think Radio. At 9, it's Deep South Dining featuring conversations about Southern cuisine. Hear interviews with interesting Mississippians on Now You're Talking at 10. And at 11, there's information on leading a healthy life on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. Maybe you start your day with the news on Morning Edition and catch up later with All Things Considered. Well, news doesn't wait. Stories evolve during the day in courtrooms, financial markets, on the streets, and at kitchen tables, locally, nationally, around the world. Hi, it's Robin Young. Each weekday, check in with Here and Now for the news as it's happening. That's Here and Now from NPR News. Weekdays at noon on Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Residents of Jackson will soon be under a new tiered water and sewer billing system. It will be implemented early next year, and the system will increase rates for most residents and businesses, but decrease them for low-income families. Ted Hennepin is the court-appointed manager of Jackson's Water and Sewage Systems. He says these two rates will give the city more buying power for improving the troubled systems. A couple things we're doing that's very, uh, very unique. So we recognize that there's 25% of Jackson's population that's... Um, pretty economically disadvantaged. And uh, most of those are receiving SNAP benefits. So we've created a customer class, which is called SNAP, and they will categorically get a lower availability fee if they're SNAP el- receiving SNAP benefits. And so that allows us to, they'll pay the exact same amount for the water they're using, the volumetric charge, at $6 per 100 cubic feet, but their availability fee for a 5 inches meter for a SNAP customer classification customer is going to be $10 a month. So their bill, water and sewer combined plus availability fee, will be somewhere just under $50 a month, which by our calculations seems affordable for even the folks that are receiving SNAP benefits based on their income levels. 
Earlier this year, Hennepin proposed a billing change to charge water rates based on property values. This would alleviate strain, he said, on low-income households who are more affected by erroneous billing and often unable to pay them. State lawmakers took issue with this plan and passed a law that prevents municipalities from billing customers in any way other than by how much water they use. Governor Reeves said the plan would squeeze the middle class who he says can't afford to pay more for the home they already own when he signed the bill into law this spring. The rate structure, and many of you, I think, remember last year, early in the year, I talked about some unusual proposals for rates. We were struggling to get meters in the ground. I was talking about using uh, property value or property size, some attribute of property to base our rates on. Uh, Shortly after that, during the last legislative session, uh, House Bill 698 was proposed, passed, and signed into law, which uh, eliminates the ability to do that legally. So uh, we've pivoted away from the idea of using something unusual, and we're sticking in strict compliance to the HB 698 requirements. And in that, uh, it, it requires a volumetric rate, as well as it allows for a fee, and the fee covers uh, reading from the actual bill, calculation of a user's bill shall be limited to the actual amount of volumetric usage, plus those fees reasonable and necessary for the cost of uh, capital expenses, system operation and maintenance, and debt service. And many of you have also heard me talk about those are the costs. And look at water, the variable costs, the cost of the water you actually drink, very small part of it. And so we've structured this rate system to have a fee, and we're calling it an availability fee, that covers those capital expenses, system operation and maintenance, and debt service. In our case, debt service is still a huge portion. There's outstanding debt of about $260 million. The monthly debt service payments are almost $2 million a month. And so all that fits into the fixed part of this, the fee that we will charge. And it's going to be a meter-sized based fee. So if your meter is a 5-8-inch meter, you get a $40 availability fee. And then you're going to pay $6 for every 100 cubic feet of water you use. The new billing system will see water and sewer bills increase by about 13 percent for the vast majority of customers. The heaviest users of the system, like commercial properties, will see a jump of 62 percent. A new billing tier is also being created for the nearly 13,000 customers enrolled in the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. They'll see their bills drop by 31%, or about $20 per month. Hanneman says the new tier for the SNAP recipients is the first program of its kind in the country. He adds, making the water bills more affordable for low-income Jacksonians will hopefully help avoid a cycle of non-payment that they've seen in the past. There's been a lot of study of uh, trying to get SNAP benefits eligible, utility bills eligible for SNAP benefits. So you think about the SNAP program, you can actually buy bottled water with your SNAP. And the cost of bottled water is you know, hundreds of times more expensive than drinking tap water. And so the idea that you could pay your utility bill with SNAP is, is catching on in discussions. I've had that discussion actually with a Senate Appropriations staffer uh, for the Ag Subcommittee. Um, there's a professor out of the uh, University of Wisconsin, Manny Teodoro, has been studying this uh, at length. We really think it's a, a better way to deal with water bills across the country. This might be a, the, the piece that gets people's attention, Mississippi leading the way here in Jackson with that. And then potentially we don't even have to have a separate SNAP classification in the future because 
if the SNAP program changed to allow them to pay their bill, we, would, we could eliminate that. So to your knowledge, this would be a national first? This would be a national first, yes. Ms. Jim. Is there an AG opinion on SNAP classification issue? No. Or are you eligible to even get those opinions? Uh, I don't think, I, because I am a private enterprise at this point, we couldn't get an AG opinion, but we've done legal research, extensive legal research, and I've built our own legal opinion on it. What did y'all, were there any cases you based that on? Or Not on a SNAP, but it was on how you define classification, okay. customer classification. Many people in Jackson have large unpaid water bills. During the peak of the water crisis, some had bills that extended into the thousands of dollars because of faulty water meters. The legislature hasn't approved the city's request in the past to forgive those debts. To help those who can't pay, Hennepin is also creating a way for folks to get financial relief through donations. There will be times when people have financial issues and they can't pay their bill, and so we've created a a fund with the Community Foundation for rate assistance, uh, essentially that's uh, a phone call to Jackson Waters number right over there, 601-500-5200, saying I, I've experienced some financial distress, so I'm going to get a series of questions, and if they're eligible, um, we will use some of that, uh, again, it's foundation money, it's sitting in the Community Foundation, and we're always looking for donations, and we'll have lots of opportunities for customers to contribute to that fund. Uh, over the next many years as we try to build up that to support our our citizens in, in times when they're struggling to pay their bill. Finally, we're all in this together, and, and that's really the message. You know, we, There will be some people that are going to see their bills go up, there will be people seeing their bills go down. At the end of the day, we need to pay for water that's valuable. We need to pay for sewage uh, collection, and we, you know, we're trying to get sewage back into the pipes. And we've uh, already made some significant progress there, but it's not right to have sewage running in the streets. Hennepin's plan goes before the Jackson City Council this month for approval, but Jackson Water can implement it even if the council opposes it under authority granted to the corporation by a federal court last year. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.